Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Text line is buzzing. The FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. And hit us up on those socials if you missed the Valentine's Day version of War Cry Wednesday. It is there for you on WFNZ Story, on Twitter and Instagram, on Wes Bryant, underscore 72, at Walker Mail, at HTB, underscore Josh. And most importantly, at Wesson Walker on Twitter or X. So go check that out uh, when you get a chance. And so now, without further ado, folks, it is time to get to the campus corner. Syracuse avenged an early season. 36-point loss to the North Carolina Tar Heels. Defeated a top-10 team for the first time since 2019 with an 86-79 win. Syracuse started the game hitting 12 of his first 19 shots. They built a 10-point lead in the first half. They hit 11 of its first 17 shots in the second half. They shot 62% from the field, their top mark, since converting 71% of their shots in a win against DePaul in 2011. Carolina is now 17-7 all-time against Syracuse, including three wins in the last four meetings and 13-4 and since Syracuse joined the ACC in 2013-2014. The stars of the game, Cormac Ryan had 18 points for North Carolina. R.J. Davis had 19 points for North Carolina. Baycott, a double-double, but only 14 points and 10 boards. Syracuse was led by Judah Mintz that had 25 points on 8 of 11 shooting. And J.J. Starling, also a very efficient 23 points on 9 of 15 field goals, 3 of 6 from 3-point land. Let's get right into it. Where are we at on the North Carolina Tar Heels, who have now lost 3 out of their last 5 games? Walker, we'll start it off with you. And then, Fiddy, you have the floor, J.D. So the question with North Carolina, how much we should worry about them, we definitely turn it up a little bit more. I think we were at a four after the most recent loss. They got the win against Miami. It didn't change for better or worse. And now we can turn it up a little bit more. I'm not full-on panicking about this team. We had a six. I'll go to a five. Okay. I was at like three and a half before. Okay. I think what's happening now is that North Carolina just falls out of what was a tier one, which was what we were flirting with for a long time. And then they lose to Georgia Tech. It was still fair to put them there. Even in that Duke victory, we were like, okay, I'd love to see him play UConn now. I'd love to see him play Kentucky now, especially with Kentucky having the 22 ranking attached to their name. But now, not so much. Like, I don't want to see him play UConn, and I don't really want to see him play Kentucky, even with them being towards the bottom of the top 25. Look, there are a couple of things that aren't working for him anymore. Like, 
what the opponent three-point for uh, percentage is. Like, this is what happens when you look at some of the defensive metrics in the NBA and in college basketball. Sometimes defense is based off of luck. And what's happening is now these teams are hitting at a higher clip from distance than they were when North Carolina didn't lose for a million different games that they played, right? That's happening. Syracuse shot over 60% from the field in this game. It was ridiculous. 62.5 to be exact. The last time anybody shot this well was when Pittsburgh shot well against them in 2015. So almost a decade to go. That's how far you have to go back. Syracuse was even 47.1%, 8 of 17 from three-point range. But as me and Fiddy talked about in that fishbowl, those mid-range jumpers were falling. And they were tough shots. Even one of the three-point shots at the end of the shot clock, where it banks in, what was that, a 40-footer? In a crucial moment of the game, the fact that they hit that shot, I believe that was right after R.J. Davis took the lead for North Carolina. And then on the other, se- on the other side, there goes the bank-in three-point shot from 40 feet out. Starting lineup played well, but really this was because of what Judah Mintz did and what J.J. Starling did. They were excellent. They hit a bunch of tough shots. Mintz got to the foul line, hit 9 of 11 from free throw range. The defense needs to tighten up. I don't know if they were ever as good as we were talking about. Some of the three-point luck helped them, but also it's just going in the opposite direction and the law of averages are hurting them. The reason I'm not fully panicking, I would still pick North Carolina as the best ACC team. I'm still going to pick them over any other team as far as who I'm most confident in. They still have a ton of talent. They still play really well with one another, and I expect them to get back on track. Fiddy, before we go, let's play Hubert Davis's post-game's comments, and then you come right behind that and then give us your thoughts on the game. Everybody's extremely well coached, aren't they? Um, I think I remember trying to tell you guys that uh, going to the JMA Wireless Dome, it's a tough task. It's one of the tougher road trips you have to make in the ACC. And, you know, everyone laughed at me and scoffed at me. Is that what happened? But, you know, I digress. <laughs> Look, I don't, I don't like losing. Uh, the, the, I mean, you don't get into sports to like to lose. But it's February 14th. You're 19-6. and six, You're 11-3 and three in the ACC. You're still in first place, mind you. And everyone acts like the season is coming to an end because they've lost three of five. When in reality, they're just getting a dose of what every other top ten team has experienced all season long, which is you go on the road, you get beat. Top ten teams are 33-34 and 34 on the road against unranked competition. That's the worst mark in the poll era by 26 percentage points. It's a crazy stat. It's a crazy stat. And, and so, like, if Carolina was doing this at home, okay, I might be going to the foul line. I might be freaking out. But it's always been hard to go on the road and win no matter the conference. It's gotten harder in the transfer portal era because even these middle-of-the-road teams – they're older, they're more experienced, they're getting better talent because of, NI, uh, because of NIL and all that type of stuff. And you can't help that a guy be turns into DeMar DeRozan, a.k.a. the mid-range god, and doesn't miss 18-foot jump shots. Like, I'm fine with getting beaten on a guy shooting the most inefficient shot in the game of basketball. So, uh, you know, Carolina, they got four of six down the stretch at home. If they go three and three or maybe even four and two, maybe we have a conversation. But 
I still think this is the best team this conference has to offer. Yeah, I would agree with that. But as we look at things going down the stretch, they're now a half game in front of Duke, a full game uh, in front of Virginia, who also lost last night that we'll probably get to briefly. And so when you look at this deal, the, the only things that I'm looking at is the narrow escape uh, of Miami, too, which that was a game where they were a little lackluster for the majority of that game. But they did come back and get a win. A win is a win. But the last five games from R.J. Davis, he's shooting 37.5% uh, from the field. And so we've heard teams uh, talk about in beating the Tar Heels being more physical with R.J. And I keep pointing out how he's not the biggest of guys. This is not a 6'5", 6'6", 2-guard that's got some weight that can withstand the pounding. This is a guy that, you know, carrying a squad, he's a smaller guard, and when he goes down in there and takes punishment, it's going to take a toll. Then also, Armando Baycott, his last five games, he's averaged 16 points per game, but last night, once again, I just thought not the type of effort that you need from a guy that's been there as long as he has, that has been pretty peerless when you're talking about big men since he's been in college. There aren't a lot of matchups that he's had to face where you're like, okay, this is, you know, two big dog, big men, that, that this is going to be a dog fight. And that's another reason why I feel like he should be a little bit more dominant uh, than what he's been. I mean, you got what you would want last night from Harrison Ingram, even though it was a little untimely. It seemed like he makes a lot of timely plays. But last night he was making some plays, had some turnovers down the stretch. He had 14 points, though, uh, and 11 rebounds. But when you look at the schedules of these teams, coming up as they're going to battle it out for the conference title. You know, Carolina's got road game, a road game at Virginia. They've got to see Miami again. they got to see NC State again, which, I mean, they do own them. Obviously, you got Duke uh, down the stretch. And then Duke's got to go to Florida State this weekend. they got to go at Miami, at Wake Forest. they got Virginia. they got to go at NC State before playing the Tar Heels. Duke has a pretty difficult stretch. And then Virginia's got Wake coming to them this weekend. Uh, they they play Carolina on the 24th. They're at Duke on March the 2nd. And then Georgia Tech, we know that they're a feisty bunch as well. But it looks like coming down the stretch, Virginia has the clearer path to get this done because I don't think that uh, either of these three teams is done taking losses just yet. I think there may be one or two more in the cards for these teams. But the main thing I'm looking at is just R.J. Davis and his production, is it starting to weigh on him how much of the offensive load he has to carry, even though Cadeau's been stepping up? I'm looking at that, and I'm just still looking at uh, Armando Baker as we come down the stretch. Can those two summon their powers and get this team to an ACC regular season championship? The R.J. Davis thing, you look at the last five games, you mentioned the 37% field goal clip that he's shooting right now. Yeah, 36 and 96. Because it's all two-point field goals that he's missing. His three-point shot is still very, very good. In fact, it's even better than what he was doing before the last five games that he played. On higher volume, he's shooting better the last five games. It's just you can't create any more inside the three-point arc. He was shooting 48% on twos the first however many games, the first 20. They've played 25 the first 20 games, 48% on twos. You know what he's shooting now? 33. I mean, it is a monster, monster drop-off. And he hit a big two last night when he was able to score that layup right hand, left side of the goal. But there's just no room for him to operate inside the three-point arc. And that goes a little bit into them being more physical. But that also goes into a little bit, all right, how much are you able to dish? 
how much room are you do you have to operate? Because if it's RJ shooting this poorly inside the three-point arc, now you need Armando to just become a flat-out beast, grab some of those offensive boards, but you're also trying to give RJ space. And so are you going to be right there next to him? No, because then you allow the tree to just defend you, Armando, and RJ, who is driving. And so it's tough to try to figure that out. It just all comes down to him being able to hit shots at the rim again. And that's just not happening the last five games. Once RJ gets back, like this is where we can do the law of averages thing again. Even if it doesn't go back up to 48, close to 50%, it probably won't. It's not going to stay down here at a third of his shots. That's way too low. That's not going to happen. Can you get back to like 44, 45? That's going to be something that allows North Carolina to win these games. Again. Yeah, I'm going to put my panic meter for the Tar Heels right now. I'm going to go about a six and a half to a seven. Like I said, I'm I'm worried about R.J. Davis carrying the load down the stretch. And can he continue to hold up? Fitty, you didn't give us a number, so I'm guessing yours is what, like a two or a three? I mean, I, I think it's fair to maybe put it like at a four. But, I mean, I, I just look at it as someone that watches this sport night in, night out. Every top 10 team has gone through this for two months. Carolina just escaped it for the first month of January because they won at Clemson. They won at Pittsburgh. They won at NC State. So for me, if and look, the Clemson loss, I know that was a home loss. That's a tournament team. They're not losing to bad teams. And even though Syracuse is 16-9, and nine, they've been a middle-of-the-road ACC team the majority of the season. So I'm, I'm at a four. So you consider Georgia Tech, you don't consider them a bad team? On the road... Atlanta, as tough a place to play in the ACC. They had three <laughs> home wins against ranked competition. It was the game before the Duke game. It was a trap game. Like, it was the good old trap game. Like, right. I'm 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 not going to panic until I see something that's worth me panicking over. All right. Also, too, last night, Virginia lost at home. Had their winning streak broken. I believe it was like 24 games or something like that. They lose this, uh, Pittsburgh 74 to 63. Uh, Pittsburgh beats them Blake Henson or Blake Hempson as the kids like to call him. 27 points uh, on the night. Uh, I think that loss to me, uh, it's a little bit of an indictment on Virginia. They kind of reverted back to where they've been most of the year but I also think that this was a situation to where Virginia's been scorching hot and it was about time for them uh, to take a loss at some point. They got caught last night uh, by Pitt, who outscored them by seven in the second half. Did you have any uh, thoughts or reactions to Virginia going down at home to Pitt? Yeah, I, I, I hate to revert back to this. It's real nerd boy stuff in basketball today. But so much of these losses will sometimes hinge on how a team shoots from three-point land. And what you saw from Pittsburgh last night is a 44% clip from beyond the arc. And Blake Henson, it's real for him. Like, Blake Henson is, I think, coming into this game, the best shooter in the ACC yeah, He's a from three-point land. And you saw him 11 of 19 from the field and hit five of his 13 attempts from distance scoring those 27 points. Also, some timely shots, too. Like, not even that this got crazy close, but it was close enough to where maybe Virginia can make a run, and yet Pittsburgh was able to keep them at arm's length. And so here's Pittsburgh, man, playing pretty well. After they got off to a terrible start, we thought, all right, this might be Capel's last year for him. Now they're on a four-game winning streak after losing the game on the road to Miami. They have a couple of really tough road wins. NC State and Virginia, the toughest road win the last 20 games of college basketball, not just in the ACC, but in all of college basketball. 
Tip of the cap to Pittsburgh, figuring some things out here as the season goes on. All right, and also before we get out of the campus corner, the Panthers did announce that the Keep Pounding High School Classic will be back. A doubleheader to be held at Bank of America Stadium on August 27th, kick August 22nd, excuse me, kicking off the high school season in the state. You will have the Independence Patriots, Myers Park, Providence Day, and Weddington. That is a fearsome foursome right there. The games will kick off with Independence. And uh, Myers Park will kick off at 4 o'clock. And then the defending state champions, Weddington and Providence Day, will play at 8 p.m. I'm not going to miss that one. That's going to be a block burner, Weddington and Providence Day. So, yeah, high school football in full effect. So that was a great announcement from the Panthers. And that should be uh, a fun couple of games to watch when high school football returns. It seems like we're so far away from that uh, right now, though.